the twelfth day of Christmas, Moose brings to me the fall of the House of Usher with Randall Sylvie. Welcome, Horror Hounds, to another installment of the 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. I'm your host and gift giver, Moose. Today's gift is a tale as old as time, and I'm not talking about Beauty and the Beast. I told you he'd be back. We're bringing back the Grawlix Growler, Randall Sylvie, and we're deep diving with spoilers into the fall of the House of Usher. So please welcome Mr. Randall Sylvie. He, he threatened you that I'd be back, and I'm back. <laughs> hey, what's what's going on? I'm here. It was a threat. It was a promise, and everything came in. <laughs> I, I And I feel a little bit like this is the first time you've had me on. Well, maybe not. that's not true. I was going to say this is the first time you've had me on that wasn't some attempt to bait some saltiness out of me, some arguments, because well, I got and nothing to I, argue I was with. thinking about it, because... Yeah, this is the first time that we've recorded together where I'm pretty sure we're almost on the same page with this series as far as outcome and expectation. And there's not, you know, too many varying opinions on how this was, you know, produced and directed and just right total package. You know, I guess, I guess. Like the the zombie, the Night of the Living Dead, uh, and Dawn of the Dead, Dead episodes were pretty close too. But yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, spoilers for our discussion, but I've got nothing but but good things to say today. Yeah, no. As far as this being, you know, Mike Flanagan's swan song for Netflix, Fall of the House of Usher couldn't have been a better parting gift for his horror time in Netflix. I mean. This is how you take, you know, when we talked a couple months back about Children of the Corn and doing a short story, this is how you do a short story. Fall of the House of Usher isn't a long, epic tale. It is just a short story, but he managed to make it interesting. He managed to make it compelling and pulled elements from other Poe stories to move it along. And this should be the archetype for how short stories are done in the future. Yeah, it's super interesting as an adaptation because it's kind of an homage just to the work of Poe overall. Because it's not, it's first off, it's not like accurately adapting any of it necessarily, no. but it's pulling from all of it. I mean, obviously, if you read through like the episode titles, each one is titled a, a after a, a different Poe story or poem, but even within there, he, he's just taking elements and weaving it all together to tell kind of his own story. Um, yeah, it's, you know, yeah. He, he, he modifies the House of Usher into this modern-day uh, family, this modern-day fucked-up family. And, you know, we, we watch as the family systematically falls to, you know, just dies off. And it's, I'm glad it all dropped at once. Mm -hmm. Because 
had it been like a weekly drop, it would have been a nail biting. You need that next episode. Right. It was very much the, uh, it was, it was like a drug, which is interesting considering that was the through way for the, uh, story was a drug, but th- this very much was like a drug. You had to have that next story. You know, you just needed it. Yeah. Uh, Melanie and I binged through it pretty quick. Um, and I kind of wish I didn't rewatch it for this discussion. And I kind of wish I had, because I'm curious as to how it comes across on a second viewing, because now it was, it's only just barely over a month since it was released. So it's pretty fresh in my mind, but you know, the first time through, you're kind of like, where is this? How is this going to wrap up? Where is this going? And I'm curious as how it all plays out the second time through. I bet there's like little things I probably missed on the first time through that you'll get after you see how it all kind of comes together. Um, but then also to touch on something else you mentioned is it's, it's not subtle with its social commentary. Like there's definitely a message to this and I'm a little surprised. I mean, although I don't know what D bag would push it, push back against this message, but I'm a little surprised. I haven't heard just because the internet's such a like, you know, they love a good fight. They'll fight over the dumbest things. I I haven't heard a lot of like kickback against there being social, like that level of social commentary in this. Yeah, no, it's been surprisingly quiet. And yeah, there were two or three different like social commentary messages throughout this uh, tale. And it's just like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like he, Flanagan and his team just, threw it out there too like there was no well we're gonna dance around it no any message they wanted to put out they just threw it out and said here we are i mean between drugs between internet i mean they they hit every cue and it it was intense and it was great all at the same time like it, this and I think a lot of it, you know, is his swan song. So he's like, I'm not going to hold any punches. And he, he held nothing back on this. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like comparing, I had read before this came out. Um, I don't know. He had said something on, in an interview or something about, he was excited for it because like the use of, it was just very, it was different and much more on chained than or unrestrained than most of his previous work in like the violence. And then also I remember him specifically calling out like the, the use of color. And he said, it's very much like a giallo, more like a giallo film than his other work. And uh, yeah, I, and I see it, I see it. Not that he hasn't had gore or violence in his other stuff, but this one is much more, it's very it's a departure from his other stuff because it's less character driven although it is kind of care it's more not so much character driven as it is like relationship driven it's driven by that but it's also it's much relationship more and story driven as and less we're focusing on this character and the kills and it's he's never really been yeah. a like slasher style and this is not really a slasher but it is in that it's kind of like dictated by like, okay, this episode, someone's going to die. And that's kind mm-hmm. of the pacing of it is 
who's going to die next and how. Who's going to die and how they're going to die and how epic will it be? And they come out of the gate with an epic kill. I mean, an acid bath? Right. That was, was that the first one? So there wasn't, so the first episode was all set up, huh? And then they kick it off with, yeah, yeah. Okay. That was the Mask of the Red Death episode two. Yeah. Man. Yeah. They, they kick this thing off with, we're just going to clear a room with a sprinkler system filled with acid. And it's like, holy shit. That's like you said, I mean, it's huge departure from what he really does, but as a viewer fun to watch and also <laughs> like, that, that sounds weird, but that's it, it, not something that happens in a lot of horror movies. So it's, it, it's new. It's different. You know, it's, it's not the same old, same old of, oh, this is how this person's going to die. You know, and at the same time, like that scenario specifically is super predictable, but I think it was intentionally predictable. Like the setup, it, like they set it up at the end of the first episode, really. Like you kind of, you got to assume that's where it's going, right? Yeah. As soon as he says he's going to throw a party there, you're like, oh, I know it. And they made a point to point out the like, what he thinks are big water tanks on the roof. And um, so I think it's intentional to have it be kind of predictable because then that whole next episode, you've got dread of like, how bad is this going to be? It's going to happen. Like you kind of know it's going to happen. How bad is it going to be? What's the deal with um, Verna? Like the at pretty early on, you still don't know what the deal with her is. Um, she shows up in the, in the red, hood and all right, that so she's a lady in red yeah yeah and yeah you know this is when we're starting to see her kind of pop in and make her presence known and yeah you, you don't realize to what extent this acid bath is going to be and then it happens you're just like oh my god and the one that lady you're like you're brutal. like lady the aunt or whatever, it's like, get out of there, lady. Listen to Verna. Just get out of there. What are you doing? You it's like, shouldn't yeah, be they, there anyway. She, they, she told you to get out, and you're just yeah. like, should I? Shouldn't I? And you wait too long, and now at this point, you're a plot point for the rest of the movie. I, you know, and I, theories. and I, right, and I, I kind of expected her to be done, and then she actually has even though she has minimal like interaction, a big impact in the later episodes. Um, and I said, it's not really character driven, but that's not to say the characters aren't well-written. It's just everyone's like the characters are, it is character driven in that. Like that's kind of what makes it compelling. Like that's what drives most of it. But because, and Flanagan's great at characters, but they're so like, everyone's kind of despicable. And that's maybe the biggest departure is, He's usually like, you know, especially on this big cast, it's a little, it's a good mix of people like most people realistically in the gray area where almost everybody here is just really kind of a villain. I see it. Almost the entire family was a piece of shit. Right. There was one <laughs> redeemable family member. And even that, um, ultimately, she ends up dying too. the, the little girl. 
Oh, I loved it. that's that's much later in the season, but I loved how that was handled. I thought that was great. Yeah, it was you know super you know like I don't want to say casual, but you know as far as you know death visiting her essentially and reassuring her that her death would be meaningful as opposed to the rest of the family who you know deserved it. It's interesting because this whole series is dealing with, is a family dealing with literally a member of them dying each episode and dealing with that. And yet I think the most compassionate performance we get is from, is from death herself is from Verna, the Raven. Yeah. When she's talking to the, talking to the girl uh, towards the end. Well, it's, that's like, yeah, kind when, of interesting. I mean, when she goes into that room at, at this point, like we've watched, you know, Verna go through all these episodes, show up before somebody dies, and she goes into the room, and you're just like, "Oh no, not her too," you know, and and it's like, okay, how is she gonna die? And it was peaceful. She was the only one in the family to really have a peaceful death, and I, I think that's really fitting since she wasn't an asshole like the rest of the family <laughs> right uh you know but i mean jumping backwards our mm-hmm. second death we had uh we had the daughter brutalized by a monkey or chimpanzee i'm sorry this is super interesting because this was like really to me felt super out of left field but this is a kill that's a direct tie to the stories. Um, and in that respect, it's, it's admirable that they were able to like, somebody gets murdered by a chimpanzee or whatever. Uh, how are we going to work that in? And it's makes sense. They made it, uh, you know, they, they, the whole like, and it's not even the chimp connection is the, isn't even from her necessarily. It's from one of the other daughters, but yeah, I don't know. I, this was kind of out of left field to me, but still pretty good and is actually one of the more kind of on-the-nose uh, kills yeah. in it. Now, the Black Cat episode, I think, is probably one of my favorite episodes in this series because we watched the one son lose his ever-fucking-mind. You know, it's... Ultimately, you find out it's all, you know, an implanted vision, but he thought he murdered his lover's cat. And, it, you know, it hints of like the telltale heart, you know, he's guilted by this uh, dead cat. And, you know, he goes and replaces this cat and you get shades of pet cemetery where it's this cat's just fucking evil. And, He's tearing up his apartment with Thor's hammer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one is one of the closer. Sorry, go ahead. And it was just, it was fun to watch him watch his descent into madness. I really like that actor a lot. Um, Raul, I can't remember his last name offhand. Um, and this could maybe sidestep into a, a topic real quick too, but. I was going to say this story is one of the closer apparently to the post stories, the black cat in which a guy 
supposedly an animal lover kills a cat and then go replaces it kind of goes mad and the difference is he ends up uh taking an axe to his wife in an attempt to get the cat but and then and then bricks her up in the wall which is a recurring theme um but i say don't like to brick people up in walls yeah put them in the floor put them in the wall he, he loves that uh i think I, he had a complex I was going to say, so this is also something super interesting. Flanagan likes to work with the same people. And it's kind of like, once you're in, there's no getting out. Because they keep coming <laughs> back. Obviously, he's great to work with, right? Because they keep coming yeah. back. And this one, I mean, obviously being the latest one, but also is like the most return Flanagan players, really. There's like 21 or 22 people that returned from Project to work on this from previous projects that he's worked on, including Raul. And he's great. I first seen him on Funhouse. He'd show up on a, on a, uh, the YouTube channel Funhouse back in the day. He'd show up, uh, as a guest once in a while. And that's where he got caught my eye. Apparently he was on iZombie, which I never watched. Was it iZombie on CW? I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, but he showed up in midnight mass and I thought he was great in that. And it's interesting like a, a, oh no, it wasn't Midnight Mass. That was the second time. Bly Manor was the first time um, he worked with Flanagan. So he's become a recurring character. But along those lines, a new actor, and I hope he shows up in more Flanagan stuff, was, uh, uh, was the Joker. His name is Mark Hamill. Oh my God. Mark Hamill, yeah. I hope he, I hope he becomes a Flanagan regular. I thought he was great in this. He's such Say, a cool Hamill's character. character and portrayal in this uh, series was amazing. And I did, I didn't know Hamill was in this because I, I didn't want to look at the cast. Mm. I didn't want to look at anything before I watched it. I was like, all right, it's fine again. It's Poe. I'm watching it. I don't, you know, I'm not looking into anything and I'm watching it. And here comes the family's lawyer lawyer the the family's fixer is who he is and it's mark fucking hamill in this like mob boss cleaner role and he has connections all over town and he plays it so straight and watching his story develop was fun too because towards the end, he's given it out and he chooses not to take it. Yo, that was so, another interesting, that was another interesting conversation between him and Verna in which there was like, not so much compassion, but like kind of a mutual respect, which I thought was super interesting. Yeah. Like they, they both admired each other's work. <laughs> right. Which is pretty dark. <laughs> And you know, Yo, everybody and, knows Mark. Han oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and yeah, it, it was. Uh, you know, they, they both kind of admired each other's work. And when you have, you know, essentially death and the bringer of death sitting down and admiring each other's work over the span of one guy's lifetime, this is an eerie conversation to listen to. And I was going to say, you know, everybody knows Mark Hamill, like by design, he can be very hammy 
but he is the opposite of that. This he's very stoic in this and very serious. And he, he puts on the extra gruff voice, you know, it's a, uh, yeah, he kind of drops down into the, I didn't hear you know, that, that lots of gravel. Yeah. Just, uh, just pretty cool. What do you want me to cool do character. boss? I mean, you equally know, just, despicable, yeah. but a cool character. You know, and it, it, it was going to talk like this for a minute. Cause I just wanted to, you know, and just listening to him talk. It was that just really low. And you had to lean in to hear what he had to say. Cause it was quiet and every word. And, that, and that's what I think I really liked about it was he didn't say much, but when he talked, you, you had to lean in and you had to listen because he didn't speak loudly. You know, it was very quiet. It was very deliberate. And he, he pulled you in to what he was saying. And as a huge nerd, huge Star Wars fan, I honestly, this is my favorite Mark Hamill role, right? Right. I'm calling it right now. This is right now my favorite Mark Hamill role. Loved him as Joker, loved him as Luke Skywalker. This is my favorite performance that I've seen him do. You know, just because it is so far out of what everyone knows him for. And it's not, you know, the hammy Mark Hamill. It's not the comedic mark hamill it's it's a very serious trained mark hamill and it was fun to watch Mm -hmm. jumping back real quick to the black cat and raul i will say of the children the main children not 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 like the granddaughter raul uh i don't don't remember what his character's Uh, character's name was leo Leo, Leo, you're right. Interesting. Leo, right? And, Leo and adopted then, the cat. <laughs> and then maybe a little bit the gold bug lady later, a little bit. But I found Leo to be kind of the most sympathetic. He's still a jerk and he got he blacked out and murdered a cat. But I found him to be a little bit he was a little bit more sympathetic, where it's kinda like, oh man, that kind of sucks. Like <laughs> he didn't necessarily need to go out like that but whatever except the messed up part is you find out he didn't black out to kill a cat it was all an illusion oh that's true that's that's true i would say kind of the despicableness with him especially a little bit like how all of the kids treat each other is pretty despicable oh yeah but the way he handles the cat situation and kind of he is they they do make him despicable because he's got that that chick in his apartment that he's trying to hide from his boyfriend when his boyfriend shows up. So like, you know, he's still a dirt bag, but I didn't necessarily oh, yeah. feel, feel like he was as big a dirt bag as some of the children. He's uh, a cleaner so. dirt bag than the rest of them. <laughs> right. Right. I'm going to say, which <laughs> takes us to Victorine in the telltale heart. Right. Now this was a pretty solid adaptation of the telltale heart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, it's got the hidden heart. She's tormented by this noise. Obviously, you don't realize till later it's the heart me- the the heart mechanism she was making. But when the dad know, comes over and starts hearing it too, that's when I was like, "Oh, 
where's this going? Like he hears it too. That's pretty good. It's like, oh, now, okay, maybe they're both going batshit crazy. No, Mm -hmm. you open a door and she straight murdered her girlfriend, fiance, significant other, and ripped her chest wide open. Like that one leaned more into slasher territory. Yeah, that 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 was was pretty gory, pretty gory reveal. And that was, and maybe it's at this point, we're getting quite a bit further into the series. And so I think it's kind of taking its toll on, on his name is Roderick, the, the patriarch of the family is patriarch. Yep. Um, because after this, like he, he, there's three episodes after this, after the like reveal of that at the end of uh, episode five, he seems pretty shook the rest of this whole series <laughs> well and a- after that there's only two kids left yep yeah you know, and those are his original two son and daughter right and i would say they are arguably the most messed up out of all the kids just mentally messed up i mean it's interesting daughter as this weird fetish that I, I don't even know how to describe or where it would come from. For, for, first off, she wants to watch, <laughs> but like not just that, because it's not just. I'm sure it is also the sexual aspect. I mean, it is sexual, but like she wants to like have have a lady come over and basically take her place and like watch her, this lady and her husband have a nice dinner. <laughs> it's like. And that's like part of what's doing it for her. It's very strange. And I think the idea is like, she doesn't know how to have that kind of life. life. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of where the kink comes from. Yes. It's very bizarre, but ultimately that is her downfall. It's this other woman, which then turns out to be Berna. And admittedly, I'm not the greatest at anagrams. It was about episode six of an eight-part series that I realized Verna spells Raven. Right, right. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> right. This I don't even know when been, I keep. It's like, this should not have been that difficult. <laughs> That's all right. I'm not sure when I even keyed into what her name was. Probably towards the end when they like figured out who she was and pulled out the pictures of her with like world leaders going back a hundred hundreds of years, you know. Well, which leads me to I would really love a Berna story. <laughs> you know, just give me more of her. Right. And she's an intriguing her. character. Yeah. And it's not just that she's she was an intriguing character, but also like um who played her? I have a list here. I just have to find it. Carla. I'll say Carla. I'm the worst with names, last names. Carla. Another another Flanagan regular. She's in lots of Mike Flanagan stuff. Um, I like the way she played it. That kind of made it more interesting. Like, and then the and thinking like during all the flashbacks, the conversation she's having with the siblings at the bar, and just like mm-hmm. the personality she gives death which i could be 
could be played many ways, but like she definitely has a personality and that made her a kind of compelling character for sure. Well, and what I really love is this character of death or the harbinger of death or the devil or whatever ultimately you want her to be played on so many different facets of folklore that she literally could be anything. And during her conversation with, I think it was him, uh, Hamill's character, uh, they even talk about it because, you know, essentially the devil at the crossroads comes from her and, you know, all these other like, you know, deals with the devil and different things like that all stem from her history. And it was just, it, it it was fascinating to listen to her history and hear how they, you know, wove all these like prominent stories from like real history into this, you know, into this like one character that is just kind of in the guiding hand as it were. You know, it's interesting. And maybe I guess that's the point, but like, it's, it's interesting that she, especially to Roderick, takes a very kind of like she's very kind of judgmental and i guess it's a matter of like i offered you this deal you could have done whatever you wanted with it you know but she's very judgmental it's like well he wouldn't have necessarily been able to be in that position to kick off this opiate opiate epidemic had you not (laughs) give him the 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 scenario and like she kind of made it possible is it but whatever whatever i don't know it kind of ties into jumping to the pit and the pendulum episode um the way it goes with frederick is super interesting because frederick just seems like an idiot uh and but he takes maybe one of the more evil turns in hey, it. Hey. um and well but say, she and definitely the, has a moral judgment is 100 percent is a flanagan regular like when i think of a flanagan project that's who i think of Oh yeah, he's been. I hadn't seen him in anything forever. I, I can't, what was the first? Was it that Ouija, that Ouija prequel that Flanagan did? Um, I think so. Yeah, I think that's the first time I noticed him, and I was like, "Who is that guy?" He seems familiar. And Melanie's like, "It's Elliot from ET." And I was like, "Oh my god, it is!" Um, yeah, baby. And he's been in like, I think almost everything Flanagan's done since, and yep. he's great. I. I really like him in this role because that's the thing with like people, you know, using the same people. He generally, they're always good that he, the people he works with, but like you get to see an interesting range because his character in this yeah. is, is very different from any of the other characters he's had in play. Oh yeah. I mean, like, like you said, he's, he's an idiot, <laughs> yeah, but he goes yeah. from idiot to like paranoid sociopath that that that's his character arc in this idiot to like brutal murderer and that's a hell of a trajectory you know and he he becomes this like coke fueled murderer and it was just that's a hell of a path to end up on yeah and to really like brutalize his wife like he did um but that's how I was going to say that's Verna definitely passes moral judgment where she's like, I had this thing pl- plotted out for you. You were always going to die here. 
but I wasn't going to do this swinging pendulum thing until you broke out the fucking pliers or hammer or whatever it was to take out her teeth. And she's like, for me, she's very clear that it wasn't going to be as terrible of a death for him until he took that turn. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was a 100%. You made this bed. Congratulations. Right. Yeah. I, I think he probably had of the kids the most probably painful death. Yeah, they kind of bookend it because it's, it's him. I'm trying to think of it. It's him and the youngest one. Yeah. The acid, the acid, the acid and the pendulum. Right. Right. Uh, I'm sure the other ones were very unpleasant, but yeah, you're right. Those seem very bad. Um, I've heard some people are kind of critical of this one. They're like, it's very final destination. It's like, well, I mean, it's death instigating, like orchestrating these, these kills that most, for the most part, look like accidents. It's very final destination in its nature. Yeah. I mean, that's who the villain in final destination is, is death. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't escape death. And if you're on day 12, you already heard this conversation. So kudos to you uh it, it, it that was honestly one of the things i really liked about this series was every death was meant to look accidental right so it you know it didn't point to murder so it didn't implicate somebody else it you know accidental drug overdose or in leo's case he jumped off his balcony you know, it's right. It, it, it was a very nice touch to end. Like, if you're going to end a bloodline, don't screw up somebody else's bloodline. The show looked really good too. I was just looking at who directed it because, uh, like, I know the for sure at least the first, uh, was it the Haunting of Hill House? Was all Flanagan directing every episode, which has got to be exhausting. Um, and Midnight Mass, I know he did, but I know some of the other series, he kind of stepped back and was like, I don't need to direct every episode. So I was looking at this one, and it the episodes were split between him and Michael Fimag... I'm not going to say the last name because I'm terrible about it. it. Another A different Mike. So uh, he split the directing duties with somebody else on here. But I think the show looked very good. Especially the, you know, I mentioned the color because he seemed like something he's very excited about, but... uh yeah, the use of color in this is super interesting and very specific and intentional. Um, I say Bly Manor and Hill House are both very dark series. Yeah. yeah. This was a lot more vibrant. Yeah, very much. And, and you know, the, the, the palette that was used was, you know, it was a lot more aesthetically pleasing. And that's not to say that the other two weren't, you know, because, I mean, uh, again, I will watch anything planning and touches. So th- th- that is not a knock on the other two at all. I love Hill House. I love Bly Manor. And for those stories, they needed to be dark. This would not have worked as well if the whole thing were dark. Yeah, now, I, think I did have dark moments. For sure. But I, I think stylistically, and, it fits this kind of story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just makes it more interesting. You know, like the cutaways with 
Roderick and the, uh, who was it? Like the district attorney sitting in the house, having a scotch. Mm -hmm. Those were shot fairly dark. Mm -hmm. That made sense. Cause that was a very dark, you know, dim scene. You know, Roderick's facing his mortality. It, it's, you know, it shows he's coming to an end as opposed to the contrast of everything else happening in like real time in life. And it, it the, the use of lighting and colors, uh, the, the contrast was amazing. Right. Um, real quick, you kind of mentioned it towards the beginning, but like in comparison to other Flanagan, specifically Flanagan Netflix things, uh, Netflix series, I'll say, um, I've liked them quite a bit. Uh, the, the young adult one, what was it called? The Christopher Pike one. I kind of skipped over some of that one. <laughs> I'll go back and revisit it sometime. Um, but I kind of felt like he was maybe a little bit more hands-off of that one anyway. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he even brought people over from that one. Like the the one that played, uh, the lady that played his wife, uh, Froderick's. It's not Froderick. Is it Froderick? Not Froderick. Roderick's wife. No, Froderick wife. was uh, the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the idiot <No>. kid. <laughs> yeah, that's it. They they always called him Roderick, which was pretty good. Uh, Roderick's wife in this, his like new wife, you know, uh, she was from that other show that escapes me right now. So I, I can't count that one because I never, I fell off of that one. I'll go back and revisit it sometime. Um, it, you know, I don't know. It's somebody's home for terminal children or something. <laughs> it's whatever it was called. Um, <laughs> I think I lost my credibility, uh, but <laughs> Bly Manor, Haunting a Hill House, uh, Midnight Mass, which Midnight Mass is, was, I think the only one that was like wholly his original idea, not necessarily an adapt adaptation, although that's yeah. a little debatable because he takes, even in his original stuff, he, you can, he takes, especially Midnight Mass takes heavily influence from like Stephen King stuff. Um, oh yeah. Which we're going to see a lot more Stephen King, uh, Flanagan stuff coming out of his uh, Amazon work. But um, I put Bly kind of at the bottom. I liked Bly, but it was m leaned way more drama. Like it just was mm -hmm. pretty heavy drama, um, which is fine. But I want to say out of all of them, I put this one kind of at the top. Midnight Mass was great, but I think I put this one at the top just for... Oh, yeah entertainment factor this is more it's quicker paced it's 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 got a different it's not necessarily a meditation on mortal mortality like uh kind of all of his other <laughs> series are no and i mean it's in there yeah, of, you know, yeah for sure there's you know there, there's definitely mo moments of that in there but it it isn't a retrospective on a character's life like, okay, I'm going to die. This is what I did to get here. It's okay. I'm dying and my world's crumbling down around me. Uh, watching it. And I, I can't remember if I mentioned this to you or not, but I know I've mentioned it to other people. It reminded me a lot of Leo DiCaprio's Romeo and Juliet visually. Okay. Okay. Um, which then led me to want Flanagan to do Romeo and Juliet 
because I would love to see him do a modern Romeo and Juliet because I don't think it'd be as campy as DiCaprio's, but it would still have that same pacing, that same, uh, uh, like, like we were talking, that contrast in color, the storytelling. And I, I think it would, it, it would feel more like the tragedy that is supposed to, and not the love story it's been made out to be. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Flanagan's style definitely lends, lends more to the tragedy than, uh, Boz Lerman's style <laughs> does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that, that, that was one of my biggest takeaways from this was it reminded me of, you know, Romeo and Juliet. And I was just like, I wonder what he could do with Romeo and Juliet. And, you know, it's been a while since we've had a good Romeo and Juliet remake. So, you know, putting it out there. Mike, if you're listening, say hi. But if you're listening, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, but no, one of the biggest things in this series, this whole family, A, could have lived, and two, wouldn't have been as despicable if the sister wasn't despicable. Madeline, I think, is the biggest key in this family puzzle. She pushed she... Roderick at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And she started the wheels turning on this whole uh, machine that ultimately led to the demise of the Usher family. She's, it's not, it's not even really arguable. She's the main driving force behind uh, pushing, for sure, her pushing her brother to the dark side. But she's definitely, and it's interesting because, I mean, that whole like backstory with, him and his, his, his first wife and all that, where he's kind of like living a good life, right? Like he writes his wife poetry and like, they're just like, he was a good dude. Right. And then it's definitely the sister's influence of like, you know, and also like the guy was, he was legitimately getting screwed over, but the sister's influence of like, no, 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 no. Here's what we're going to do. I mean, although ultimately he makes the choices. It's interesting because when it comes down to like, ultimately, okay, so here's the choice. You can either follow through on this deposition thing or the, the testimony thing or whatever. Yeah. And also there's the choice of like when they're sitting down talking to uh, Verna in the bar. And it's interesting that when those choices come up, he seems to, without really flinching, make the wrong, the bad choice, the morally oh, instantly. worst yeah. choice. And it's interesting because even like in the bar, him and his sister both have to agree to the deal they're making with Verna there. Um, he's not hesitant at all, even though he's arguably has more to lose in the situation because his sister does not plan on having children. So she doesn't care what happens to the bloodline, but she is more hesitant. She's hesitant for, for him like she seems kind of upset that he was just like, yeah, no, it's fine. Let's do this. Like she seemed more hesitant about it than he did, but also she was maybe taking it more seriously. And that's kind of what's reflected later on. Like even after all the kids are pretty much gone, he's still not totally taking it seriously, you know, till the very end. up until like the very end, he was fighting it, that it was all just a hoax and just talking a bar. Right. 
right? Yeah, even when it was revealed that that bar was never actually there. You know, it was just, they got drunk and they imagined the whole thing, you know, and I think that's why him and his first wife were so good for each other because she was his moral compass. Right. Right. You take that out of the equation and yeah, he's going to, you know, pull the trigger on any deal and that's, it's a slippery slope. And he started going down that slope quick. The Midnight Club, that was the name of that series. That other series. Yeah. Um, did you watch that one? I got about halfway through it. <laughs> you know, I, I hate to say it, but yeah, me like, too. I, it I just, didn't stop like I didn't stop for any particular reason. I just I got busy and forgot to go back to it. Right. Right. And you know, I know I think that is probably for maybe the worst performing of the one of the of the series he's done for them. Um, it just kind of had a different vibe, which is fine. Uh, but it, I was going to say real- the drug, it, it missed right. the drug aspect. You know, it didn't have that. You have to see what's next. And it was real depressing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, his stuff often is, but, uh, it was more focused on, on the mor- mor- mortality aspect than like, yeah, it's about death, but also it's spooky. <laughs> And this one's like, no, it's about dying yeah. children. <laughs> That's yeah. all. Um, I was going to say real quick, the, 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 the things he's got coming up, uh, the things that are confirmed for, for his Amazon deal is the life of Chuck, which is a movie based on a Stephen King short story, uh, which I think is going to be a little bit more drama than anything, because I don't think the original is actually like a horror story, um, but it's a story told in reverse chronicle chronological order. Oh, I guess there's haunted house stuff. Actually, now I've I've read a synopsis of it, and it does kind of sound it sounds in line with like haunting of Hill House type uh, vibe. Um, yeah, and then also the Dark Tower, like as a series, I think, which is, which I think, I'm super excited for. Right, and then uh, the season of Passage, which is a Christopher Pike story. So he's gonna revisit Christopher Pike stuff too. Anyway. Well, and that, that, that does lead to where I wanted to go next was like, okay, so we know where, what's announced for him and he's moving into Stephen King. He's moving into other territories. I would love to see him tackle like a Stephen King short story, like a short story anthology. Again, back to our conversation a couple months ago, you know, how do you make a good children of the court? You add it to a short story anthology have Flanagan do a Stephen King short much like fall the house of usher and let children of the corn be a story within that and I think it would be beautiful man a Flanagan children of the corn I wonder it's interesting because Flanagan has such like specific I mean, at this point, they're kind of tropes that he goes for. He doesn't, I mean, not always, because a lot of his earlier movies weren't like a huge cast. In fact, like, um, was it Oculus was for the most part, two people in a house for the yeah, most yeah. part, you know, and, and like a couple other people in flashbacks. Um, and then his first movie was like two, two people for the most part, but 
he seems to really like a big ensemble cast and he's good. He does good with that. He writes that well. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't picture, I, I don't know what a children of the corn from him would look like See, from what I know of uh, the life of Chuck. It kind of makes sense because it has to do with a guy who grew up in a haunt in a supposedly haunted house and whatever. And it's kind of weird told in reverse. So like that kind of makes sense. He's, he does a lot of like, flashbacks jumping back and forth in a story and a narrative and children in a haunted house is like right up his alley, you know? So yeah, I say it's going to have that blind manner, uh, vibe and it should be fun. Right. I would like to see, I don't know. It's interesting because like Dr. Sleep, while a direct adaptation of Stephen King felt kind of the least Stephen King of a lot of the things he's worked on, including non Stephen King projects, you know? Um, I kind of want to, I'm curious. I don't know. I want to see him tackle something vastly different. And, and house of usher was kind of that. It was kind of that. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a home run. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's my favorite of his Netflix work for sure. Well, and like I said, as far as like, if you were going to pick a swan song that you couldn't have picked a better project to go out on. Yeah. You know, this, I don't know this that... is how you end your Netflix run. I'm curious, not that it matters, but I get curious. I don't know. I think people generally uh, look at this one favorably. I haven't heard a whole lot other than a couple of people are like, yeah, it's great. But like, yeah, I don't know. There's not as much buzz about it. Maybe I'm not sure. I don't know what the general uh, consensus on it is. As I know there hasn't been a load of negative buzz. So that's always a positive. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. Not a lot of negative equals a positive. <laughs> right. Well, it's like even Midnight Mass, you heard a lot about, but it was kind of contentious because people didn't like the monologues. Yeah. But then the other half of the people, it's that, it, you know what? It's the internet again. I guess with this, there's just not enough people to argue about it to, for it to like become <laughs> super notable. Like people have to be uh, on the fence of, or, uh, you know, on pick a side and start fighting before it really gets. Well, I mean, look, we came together on it. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> we don't, I mean, we don't disagree. If you were talking on. about this on Grawl Lakes, I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have uh, combated you on anything. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, uh, you know, it's funny. I'm like, you're the people, of the, only... Hunter, the great equalizer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah, it's 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 really good. I uh I think it might have gotten a physical release. I don't remember. But I do know Flanagan's been very vocal about along with other directors and stuff and rightfully so about just like the general disappointment with their work on streaming especially since, you know, streaming services have been dumping stuff to save money. Like uh he's been, he's one of the ones that's been very vocal about disappointment and stuff not getting a physical release and I think Midnight Mass was supposed to, but didn't for whatever reason. And uh, he's one of the ones who's like, "Yeah, I've, I've bought I've bought priority copies of my stuff just so I can have it on physical." And that's something well, I, I mean, see a lot. A anyway. lot of his stuff has, you know, is has so much rewatchability, right? So it doesn't it it's such a disservice to dump it, right? You know, just because the platform wants to save money. And ultimately it ends up costing him and the actors money because there's people who want to rewatch it, 
and those would be residuals that no one's getting because, well, there's nothing there. Right. So sucks. Well, and Netflix, while they're kind of notorious for canceling series prematurely, it seems, but like glow, I'll still for all forever be sour about that. They canceled glow and it's fine in the fourth season while they were filming the fourth season. Oh, that makes me so irritated, but they're not necessarily, I don't know them to dump shows that they own. I'd say the shows, I don't think they dump as much as they do just uh, into the ether. That's kind of a Warner yep, Brothers and Disney thing right thing. now. Yeah. Yeah. Which slays me because Disney owns like the media of the world. So, man, that Willow series was not necessarily great. It was kind of real bad in some <laughs> aspects, but it was entertaining. They, it didn't even, it was, they aired it for six months and then dumped it. Like you can't find it's gone. It's like you guys invested so much and money into that show. Potential. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those that had potential and they didn't, you know, they just needed to tweak some things and give it a, give it a little bit longer to marinate. Dumping and, a sh- nope. Canceling a show is one thing outright just dumping it so that they don't have to pay for the the royalties or whatever the deal is the licensing to where it's just gone now it's just in the ether like it's nowhere man that's real rough if i was a creator on any of those projects i'd be so upset well that's part of what you know the strike was about was you know issues with streaming services so hopefully it gets better anyway uh, uh, totally uh, <laughs> that's been on my mind a lot lately actually like if you if you're a musician and you're kind of paying attention to anything with like streaming services like that's kind of been a thing that's been an issue lately like it's just i don't know physical media is more and more like i mean it's been dead for a while but like stores are like best buys are no longer selling dvds and blu-rays and uh, i think australia in general is is like nah we don't need that anymore um yet at the same time then you get the streaming services that are just like now we're just gonna start dumping stuff and you'll never be able to find it unless you pirate it it's that's weird so we, we we've gone backwards right and you know i i walked into walmart the other day to look for and i know listeners you're like it's well what does that do with anything I was looking for a DVD for uh, a couple of different movies I'm planning on talking about next year. Their DVD section was gone. All except for like a shelf, one shelf of DVDs. And I asked the clerk what was going on. It's like, what, where, where did everything go? And it was, well, we're, we're doing away with all that. I said, why? Well, they don't sell. So the only place I can get this movie is on streaming. And it's like, yeah, I looked it up and it's not streaming anywhere. So I have to order the physical online at an outrageous price. But what I do find interesting is while we're getting rid of physical media, vinyls have made a comeback. Right, right. Cassette tapes too, apparently. Uh, the last few years have been somewhat popular. Not CDs though. 
CDs are not popular. No. <laughs> I, I try to sell CDs. They are not popular. Um, but yeah, vinyl and cassette tapes. And I kind of feel like physical media in general is just it. It's not a matter of it's becoming. It's a matter of it is that it's a niche product now. It's a niche audience. Was was the guy like, oh, DVDs, sure, they're right over here with the phonographs, grandpa. You know what I like about physical media? If your internet's out, you can still watch a movie. Man, I've really been... So Spotify has been real janky with, like, whatever. I don't have to get into the whole thing. It's totally off topic. But um, I'm probably going to pull my music off of Spotify here at the end of the year, which is coming up in a couple weeks. And... Uh, it's long since been like Bandcamp for musicians is like a very popular service, but they've been bought and sold a couple times and they're kind of in a shaky place to where it's like music you like could disappear off a streaming service for any reason at any time. It could be a rights issue. It could be if it's a smaller artist like myself, if I stop paying distro kid, like my, the service I use to distribute stuff, my music comes off all the, all the streaming sites and then if Bandcamp goes under, like, that music's just gone. Even digital download, you have a hard drive crap out, it's gone. So I've kind of, like, been making a push for physical media in that respect, just because it's, like, short of you losing it, it's not going anywhere. Nobody can take it. Like, you know, rights holders can't take it or anything like that. Um, I don't know. But at the same time, streaming is super convenient. I get it. I get it. That's not something like it's not going to go away, but I think there is a problem and I th- I feel no, like this is relevant. Yeah. And I feel like this is relevant for your show because it's for horror fans and most of the time horror fans are going to be horror movie collectors and stuff like that. And so I don't know. I feel like physical media should never necessarily go away. Like it should always no. be a viable option. <laughs> Well, before we go away, Randy, where yes, up to date with everything you have uh, coming out, and obviously not Spotify, but where where, where can listeners <laughs> right, follow you? Right. <laughs> Spotify, hey, oh, Spotify! I'm so tempted to get into it. The whole thing with Spotify is if you get less, if a song gets less than a thousand streams, they're just not going to pay you your royalties. They're going to give those royalties to larger artists. So they will still stream your music. People will listen to your music, but they will take and pay that money to larger art audi- uh, artists. Yeah. Uh, screw Spotify. Anyway, uh, first off, as you probably know, listener, you can find uh, more of this show on electronicmediacollective.com or EMC Podnet, as in podcast network. If that's easier to remember, emcpod.net. Um, you can find more of my stuff at Grolix podcast. It's G R A W L I X podcast.com or for my music stuff, go to my website, not Spotify, <laughs> go to my website. It's super science, super science, all one word, uh, super science dot X Y Z. I know it's weird. Just, just go with it. <laughs> Explanations in the children of the court episode. Right. <laughs> He already told you where to head over to Electronic Media Collective. So if you want to just follow me, head over to Facebook, X, and YouTube at Moose Media Inc. Just look for the moose. And uh, <laughs> just look for the moose. Sorry. I know. Get you every time. 
<laughs> I don't know why. I for, I think I forget about it every time. That's why. Sorry. It's funny. Jesse is the one that your your co-host is the one that actually uh, threw that out one time, and I just took it and ran with it. That's funny. It's so good. And uh, yeah, Randy, this was great. And listeners, longtime listeners, should know that he'll be back again in the next month or so along with uh billy peck to do our uh horror year interview and we'll, we'll be nice we'll split it up this time so it's not as it's easier to right. digest and i will put his links in the episode description as always tune in tomorrow for the final day day of christmas and the season five premiere of moose's monster match I will be covering Christmas, bloody Christmas, with Santa himself, a Ben Ruby. Randy, thank you again. Mm-hmm. Thank you for spending this time with me. And until next time, horror hounds, mash on. Merry Christmas. <laughs>